Great to be with you this morning. My name is Mike, one of the associate pastors here at Sanctuary Covenant Church, along with uh, associate pastors uh, Edrin and Rose. And it's just a, a beautiful blessing to be with you here at Sanctuary this morning. It's hard to believe, isn't it? This is the last week in the summer. <laughs> Who's ready for that? I don't know. I know. I know. Holding up a card. Uh, maybe some of you parents are, are ready for that. Um, but uh, nevertheless, it's kind of hard to wrap your, your head around that. I, I mean, I can, almost can't remember the beginning of summer anymore. It seems so long ago. But here we are. I had a transitional moment. Well, we've been in a series uh, here in August called Threshold Living, Living Faithfully Between. And as we have discovered, our definition of the word threshold is rather limited, Pastor Rose mentioned last week that it is often associated with a piece of wood at the base of a door. We cross it and we transition from inside to outside of a space or a dwelling. But this idea of physical threshold is rooted in something much deeper. Uh, it is rooted, uh, it, it comes from the Latin word lemon, and I was intrigued by the psychological word, meaning of the word lemon. Psychological usage of lemon is about when we start to perceive a new thought or a way of thinking. A liminal space, then, is about the time between knowing what was and what's next. It's a, it's a place of transition, waiting, not knowing. Liminal space, then, is where all transformation takes place. It's, it's if we learn to wait and let it form us. An author and theologian by the name of Richard Rohr describes this space as being betwixt and between the familiar and the completely unknown. There alone is our old world left behind, while we are not yet sure of our new existence. And that's a good space of genuine newness that can begin Get there often and stay there as long as you can by whatever means possible, he says. This is a sacred space where the, where the old world is able to fall apart and a bigger world is revealed. If we don't encounter liminal spaces uh, in our lives, we start to idealize normalcy. Idealize normalcy. The threshold is God's waiting room. He, here, we are taught openness and patience as we come to expect an appointment with our divine doctor. God wants to heal our souls in the midst of transition. These thresholds of waiting are not knowing and not knowing our next are everywhere in life. And you know what? They're inevitable. They're inevitable. Each ushers in a new chapter of life and holds varying degrees of disruption for us. Here, we become aware of our own liminality, most of us, if we're honest, we don't know who to become or how to navigate these transitions. We often miss the real potential of in-between uh, places. We either stand paralyzed or we, we, fl or we flee. Uh, we flee the terrible cloud of the unknown. We just welcome this class of 2031 uh, into their liminal space of school. But the, the goal isn't to get through these spaces quickly. Uh, maybe the goal is to learn to embrace them to actually seek them, for they are holy and powerful places uh, that they are. If our liminal spaces are approached intentionally and within community with one another, rather than staying paralyzed, running away, or going it alone, we can boldly approach it and confidently move forward into our futures, because God is a way maker. Amen? Well, in the series, we've already looked at Jonah, Ruth, and Esther, 
And these are rich and incredible stories for us uh, of people at threshold moments, moments in lives where people have become confronted with challenges and, and opportunities. And we've seen how the people in the stories had opportunities to either retreat uh, or to press in and become more. Through them, pastors Edrin and Rose uh, shared important truths about the liminal spaces these figures entered and what we can learn from them. For and, and what we can learn from them both as individuals and as a church community. Through the story of, of Jonah, Pastor Edrin shared with us the importance of trusting God in transition. And then in the story of Ruth, he helped us to see the importance of turning towards each other. Hashtag my people. Last week, Pastor Rose walked us through the life of Esther and the transformational reversals revealed in her decision to advocate for people at great risk for herself. Richard Rohr reminds us of this fact. He says, the important reality about change is that change never exists in a box. No matter how hard we try to contain it, change in one area of life always spills over into others that disrupt our status quo. There is a ripple effect. Community, spirituality, vocation, relationships, physicality, friendships, and emotions, they don't exist mutually exclusive from one another. They intersect and they intertwine. It's in these intersections that our perception of reality uh, is critically important. Have you ever noticed your inner dialogue? It's that place of consciousness where me, myself, and I figure out what's going on. What stories do we, t- do we tell ourselves about reality? Uh, what stories do we listen to? Are they stories that inspire us, or are they ones that make us recoil in horror? Uh, is the information in the story true, or is it, wait for it, fake news? <laughs> Designed to get us to think a certain way. Well, let's take a moment to pray here this morning uh, for this message and what God might be saying to us. God, we were reminded uh, in that powerful worship song uh, before this message uh, that you are a way maker. And some of us come into this place, God, needing a way to be made. Uh, we're, we're stuck in a threshold space. Uh, it's hard for us to see forward. God, I pray uh, that this message would, would help us, uh, would help uh, those individuals who are stuck in those spaces. And God, I pray for us as a church as we are in a threshold space of our own, in between, uh, betwixt in between, a senior leader and where we will go from here. We can't quite see the future from here. But God, I pray through the story we'll talk about today uh, and through our fellowship together, uh, that you would show us that your hand is, is with us, uh, that you are in the midst of threshold places, that you are the divine doctor uh, who heals us, who transforms us, who makes us into the people who are faithful and true. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Well, today we're looking at a story of 12 people, and they went on a journey to explore a new place and then to share what they saw with those who sent them. All of them agreed about certain things, but only two saw an opportunity when the other 10 saw a threat. 10 of them came back saying, yeah, the land is great, but the enemies, those who defy God, are so powerful. We can't ever overcome them, so we can't trust God. We should just go home. Two of the scouts, Joshua and Caleb, looked at the same land, they see the same enemies, and they say, we should go to the promised land, for certainly we'll be able to possess it with God's help. 
two very different takes on the same journey. Let's read the story and pay particular attention to the directions and decisions that we hear. If you want to, you can follow along in Numbers chapter 13 on on either your printed Bible or your your electronic one. And we're going to read verses 1 through 3 and then uh, verses 17 through 33. Also appear on the screen for us. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each of the ancestral tribes, send one of its leaders. And so at the Lord's command, Moses sent sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or are they fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. So they went up and explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rehob towards Lebohemoth. They went up through the Negev and came to Hebron where Ahiman, Seshe, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, lived. Hebron had been built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. When they reached the valley of Eshkol, They cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them along with some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshkol because the cluster of grapes the Israelites had cut off there. At the end of the 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. They, there they reported to them and to the whole assembly showed them the fruit of the land. They gave, the Moses, gave to Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and they're very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there the Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. Then Mo- Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anna come from the Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we look the same to them. Hmm. Well, throughout this series, we've been using a tool that Pastor Edrin introduced when he preached about Jonah. As I was reading this story, it struck me that every time I read a story of people getting it right in Scripture, it's because that they remembered that God is trustworthy and true. They remembered God is good and that what God wants is what's best for you and that God has given us gifts talents, and treasures to serve others. And they prayed, kept studying the word, and lived these truths out daily. 
Well, let's go back. I want to look at some of the key points and see the story they tell themselves and its impact on them. The first two verses contain some really key information for us and for them. They read, the Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. Well, if the Lord said it, it's true. God is trustworthy and true. Now, of course, this takes discernment and knowing the will of God. We do this through individual and communal prayer. We do this by learning and remembering how God has moved in the past. But we need to remember that God has already given the victory. He said, explore the land I am giving. They aren't being sent to come up with a reason why they shouldn't go. They aren't being permission to refuse God's gift. They're simply being asked to go survey the property. But sometimes our pain and the trauma we've experienced, it makes us difficult to accept a gift. Or worse, we think that the gift will hurt us. When I was a little boy, uh, an obligatory picture, there you go. Mom, you were wondering when I would use it. Here it is. Last week, Pastor Rose showed a picture of her as a kindergarten, and Pastor Edron had showed a picture of himself as a young man, so I wanted to follow suit. But, well, I remember a time, uh, an older boy, uh, his name was George Williamson, uh, told me he had something really special for me, and it was a new kind of candy that was supposed to be amazing. And I was a little suspicious because, well, frankly, he never seemed all that nice. But, hey, he was 13, maybe even 16, and sort of cool. Uh, and I was obviously like four or five with nice beads. <laughs> I made those, by the way. <laughs> Still, sh- anyhow. Uh, anyhow, he told me that to get the candy, I had to close my eyes and open my mouth. Um, like I said, I was a bit suspicious. Uh, and was having trouble trusting him. Uh, And so he had his brother, my best friend at the time, cover my eyes so I wouldn't peek. And so trembling and with nervousness and some excitement, I opened my mouth, stuck out my tongue. But rather than the most amazing candy, mm, I experienced trauma. Instead of candy, uh, he filled my mouth with dog dirt. Yeah, dog dirt. I tell you, um, the wounds we experience as children are far worse than any we experience as adults. Um, As adults, we can rationalize, we can reason why certain things happen, but when we're a kid, we just internalize them, and they become part of who we are, things that, that bring up bad memories over and over. So, to be honest, I still don't like surprises and probably have some issues of trust with people. I've had to work on my fears to believe that God is trustworthy and true, a good gift giver. Uh, Because of past trauma and suffering, seeing God as trustworthy and true is often a choice we have to make. Uh, Rather than seeing God through the pain and suffering caused by others, I choose to see him as he really is, a good gift giver who is trustworthy and true. So the 12 open up their package, and what do they find? Well, Scripture tells us when they reach the valley of Eshkol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on poles uh, between them, along with some pomegranates and figs. Well, I don't know about you, but I think they must have been at Costco 
or something because I don't know where else you find a bunch of grapes that big. But seriously, God is showing off at this moment and wants to see them that the gift is good. It's very, very good. He wants them to enjoy the gift and to bring it back as a sign to others of God's goodness and faithfulness. While they do bring them back, they essentially say, yep, great produce, can't have it, the parking lot's too full. Who's experienced that? (laughs) In so doing, you know what? They deny the promise that God is good and what God wants for us is best. Now, Listen to the story they tell uh, themselves about why they aren't going in for the grapes. They say, we went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is the fruit, but the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak. Were these people not paying attention the last few years? I mean, Seriously, every one of the people here have direct, first-hand knowledge of some critical pieces of information, and they are choosing to ignore all of them. Or maybe their previous trauma makes it impossible to remember. They've endured the plagues in Egypt. They've experienced the Passover, the Red Sea parting, the Red Sea closing, wiping out the entire Egyptian army, the burning bush, the manna from heaven, and the list absolutely goes on and on and on. God's faithfulness to the people. And yet, they respond, nope, no can do. Giants, George Williamson. But then there's this guy, Caleb, who raises his voice at this point. Now, Caleb is a spunky and a scrappy kind of guy. He makes himself useful and is always willing to go that extra mile. And one thing Caleb is for sure if you, is faithful. If you tell him to do something, he does it. And God told him to go get a parking spot at Costco right now. There are grapes inside. And you know what? Free samples too. <laughs> so Caleb is out there blocking traffic, holding a space, and scripture tells it this way. Really, it does. It says, then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. The word Caleb in Hebrew means dog, and it's supposed to remind us of loyalty. Caleb and Joshua, who was with him, embody the kinds of followers God is looking for. People who remember God's faithfulness, trust in his goodness, and are willing to use their God-given talents to serve God and others without question. Of course, God knew there were giants there, but all God was really looking for was for them to see the giants and name their fears. God didn't expect them to overcome the giants all by themselves. He had never left them or forsaken them in the past, and he wasn't going to leave them high and dry now. He just wanted them to realize that even though, uh, even though they were at the promised land, that they still needed God. And how often have we succeeded by God's grace alone only to think it was by our power? God wants us to remember that he's with us. But the 10 didn't quite see it this way. They wanted everyone to buy into their perspective. Listen to what happens next. Uh, We can't attack those people, they said. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. 
All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, and we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. It's their key error, actually, and we'll come back to it. Instead of seeing grapes, or they saw giants. Rather than believing in God's promise, all they saw were problems. Because all they saw were problems, they justified themselves in front of others by sharing fake news. They told fake, a fake story that their problems wanted to destroy them. If they had prayed, studied God's word, and lived daily into the promise that God is faithful, this wouldn't have been a problem for them. Instead, they forgot they were a rescued people, saved by God. Now, many of you maybe know, we have a life recovery group for those battling addiction here. It meets Mondays and Fridays at 10 a.m., and it's a great group of men and women. Uh, in fact, it's, it's maybe my favorite part of the week. Recently, we were talking about this reality that uh, when you forget how far God has brought you, when you forget that God has rescued you, the more likely you are to relapse. Some even call their addiction a good thing because it made them more fully aware of God's love and forgiveness. Not that we all want uh, problems in our life, but sometimes we need them in order to see where God is. Remember, God didn't ask them to evaluate if the land was the promised land. He said it was the promised land, and he told them he would give it to them. But they didn't believe him. And worse, they got everyone else to doubt God as well, as well. Well, just how far off were they? Well, after their refusal to go into the land, uh, the Israelites became enraged at Caleb and Joshua. In fact, they wanted to stone them, uh, select a new leader, and head back to Egypt. Can you imagine? They were so overcome with fear that they would rather return to Pharaoh than face their giants. At that point, God was done he was going to wipe them out, uh, all, wipe them all out and start over again with new people. Uh, but Moses pleads for their life and he wins reprieve. And the reprieve came, though, with a condition. And the condition was uh, 40 years of wandering in the wilderness where they would learn to trust God. One year for each day that the spies had been away. Now, if we turn a little farther forward to uh, the story of Rahab in the book of Joshua, Joshua and Caleb, along with the people, uh, have returned to the promised land. They've been in the wilderness for 40 years, learning to trust God. And along the way, they had to mourn the loss of every single adult who had escaped from Egypt. That was the penalty for failing to believe the promise. None of those who escaped Egypt who were over the age of 21, with the exception of Caleb and Joshua, were allowed to, to go into the, the promised land. They were informed by Rahab, though, of this starting reality. They were, uh, she said, I know the Lord has given you this land. She told them, we are all afraid of you. Everyone in this land is living in terror, for we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt, and we know that you, what you did to Sion and Og, the two Amorite kings, east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. Pause right there. 
the people knew, the giants knew that the Lord is the supreme God of heavens above and earth below. Their hearts melted in fear, but they told fake news. Well, the giants didn't want to devour them. They had already given up. The promised land was only one day away, but instead they would spend the next 14,000 days learning to trust God. All of this because they made the error of attributing power where there was none. One of the things that happens at the threshold is that we either learn to trust God, uh, the story God is telling us, or we must wait in the wilderness listening to the echo chamber of our own story which is filled with doubts and falsehoods until we experience transformation. How often have we been stuck? How often have we been this close to our dreams only to listen to doubts and falsehoods and turn away? How often? Do we see giants or do we see grapes? Do we focus on the promise or do we fixate on our problems? Do we remember that God is trustworthy and true God is good and wants the best for us, and God has given us gifts, talents, and treasures to serve others? Are we praying, studying the word, and living out these truths daily? Do we remember that that the God who parted the Red Sea is the same and led the Israelites through the wilderness threshold is the same God who came to earth and redeemed us? He hung on a cross and came back to life to restore our relationship with God. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, continues to empower each and every one of us, guides us as we confront the giants in our own lives. Do we see giants or do we see grapes? What story are we choosing to tell ourselves? Well, let's pivot to our lives here and end with a little exercise, all right? When you came in this morning, you were handed, uh, hopefully, uh, a green and a purple sticky note. Have you got that? And hopefully you've got a pen too. Well, for the next few minutes, I'd like us to spend some time uh, reflecting. Uh, Can you get Peter Chu? (laughs) Thank you. Uh, I would like you to spend a few minutes uh, reflecting on our own giants and grapes, uh, problems and promises. And on the, the green note... Uh, I would like you to to write down a giant that you think we face in North Minneapolis and then reflect on a giant you think we face as a church and finally, uh, think of a a, a, a giant you face in your personal life. I want you to write them down, name those fears, and ask God for help in those areas. And then on the purple note, uh, and our hospitality team has those things. Uh, If you don't have one, just raise your hand and they'll come around. On the purple note, I'd like you to reflect on ways that you have seen God move in those same three areas, North Minneapolis, church, personally. Write them down. Name how God has been faithful and true. And if God is bringing a promise to mind, I would want you to write that down as well. Well, Peter's going to play some some music for us as we uh, write those things down. And then our praise team will come up, and then I will close us out here this morning.